Good evening. Before I begin, I need to say thank you to our church. You guys have supported us through our adoption of Judd. That was Judd's voice. He's here. Um, he, told, he told Beth when he found out I was preaching that he wanted to come hear me preach. It was in Chinese baby talk, but I know that's what it was. You guys have given us cards, encouragement. Uh, you've blessed us financially. Um, we couldn't be more thankful for you. Wynn Baptist Church is not a perfect church, but it's my belief that Wynn Baptist Church is a great church. And I love... Wim Baptist Church, and I, would, I wouldn't want to do life with anybody else. I love you guys. I'm thankful for you. Judd's doing well. We obviously have some foundational things we have to work on with him. Um, we're mainly focused on when the right time to start discipline is. When you don't speak the same language, there's... One language that everybody understands. <laughs> I don't know if he knows his name is Judd or if he thinks it's no-no, but he does understand no-no. You'll start seeing Judd around real soon, I'm sure. We love that kid. Tonight we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 and 14, if you'll turn there with me. Our time in China was the hardest two weeks of my life. Nothing compares uh, to what we experienced in China. God was there, the enemy was there, and we experienced both. I probably have not learned so much about God so quickly than I did our two weeks in China. He taught me more than I wanted to know. He taught me about my posture as it's related to him and his posture as it's related to me. I understand some what it means for somebody to pursue a love relationship with another and the other one not trust that love is behind what they're doing. And it hurts. Judd's growing in that, and I am too. I trust Jesus today more than I ever have because of our time in China. We're going to spend a short amount of time in Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 through 58. And then we're going to jump over and spend the rest of our time in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Let me pray for us one more time. Dear Lord Jesus, it really is a fearful thing to handle your word because it is not about man's opinion. This is truth. And Father, it needs to be communicated the way you would have it communicated. That's a fearful thing. 
I pray that anything that I say, any of my illustrations, any of my applications are only illuminations of what you've already said. Nothing more. Nothing extra. Because there's no need for extra. We do invite you into our presence, understanding that you are already here, but we beg you to move among us, as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 13, verses 54 through 58 is an interesting story. I want us to start there, and I want us to move over to Matthew 14 right after that. Verse 54, He, Jesus went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, how does this wisdom and these miracles come to him? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? Where does he get all these things? And they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. These people were astonished by Jesus. They were obviously very familiar with Jesus. But they were offended by Jesus. They knew that Mary was Jesus' mother. They knew that he was the son of a carpenter. They knew who the, what the names of his brothers were. They knew that his sisters were there. They knew all about Jesus. This was his hometown. They watched him grow up. They knew all about Jesus. But they were offended. I have no idea what Jesus was teaching in their synagogues. But I do know in other places he, he did not teach like everybody else did in that time. Most of the people in that time would say, you know, teacher um, Rex Vines, he said this. And, and, and teacher Miss Sue Garner, she said this. And Jesus said, I know you have heard this, but let me tell you this. He didn't speak the words of man. He spoke with authority on behalf of God. And when you speak with authority on behalf of God... Even among those who are familiar with him, sometimes those people are offended. I'm convinced that familiarity with Jesus Christ has ruined the faith of a lot of Americans. We know all about who Jesus is. We know He was born of a virgin. We know He died on the cross. We know He, he was raised after three days. Yada, yada, yada. We're familiar with Jesus. But there is no longer any awe of who Jesus is. We've lost our awe. We think He should be like us. We're okay with Jesus as long as he believes the way middle class white Americans believe. But when he, directs, he redirects our paths, 
when he says, I need, I've got a little extra wisdom for you here, we're offended. It's very possible, obviously possible, from this passage, that some of us in this room may be very familiar with Jesus, but offended. Are you? I think it ruins our faith. I think it's the, it's the reason why a lot of people are more concerned about the style of worship than the object of worship. We want to sing our songs in our way. We're not concerned about who the songs are to or for. I think it could be the reason why we're more concerned with keeping people happy in the church than we are reaching new people outside the church. We're familiar with Jesus. We're not in awe of Jesus. No fear of Jesus. He doesn't command our attention. We just know about Him. I think it's why we've lost our fire. There's not a lot of passion behind our relationship with Jesus because we're not in awe of Him. We're just familiar with Him. And I also think it may be why He's not doing many miracles among us. We're familiar. Not in all. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of Him to the other side while He dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, He went up on the mountain by Himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already over a mile from land, battered by the waves, because the wind was against them. Around three in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Most of the times when, when you hear this passage preached, or when I've heard this passage preached, or uh, the scene where Jesus calms the, the seas, uh, most pastors or preachers go with, this is about how Jesus calms the storms in our lives. And I don't think that's a mishandling of the Bible. I don't. I think there are principles that can be carried over here. But I think this passage is directly connected with what we just read. 
I think it's connected to what's in between what we just read in this passage. And I think it's connected even to what's before this passage. And I think that this passage is saying this is a revelation of who Jesus is. Are you familiar with Jesus or are you in awe of Jesus? I think it's a contrast. A lack of faith and faith. Jesus lets the boat get away from land about three miles, or it was, it was about a mile away from land. So he, he lets the disciples go out by themselves. He did this on purpose, obviously. The disciples get away from land. He lets them go out there by themselves. Jesus delays. He could have kept the disciples with him to dismiss the crowds. He could have kept the disciples with him to pray. He didn't. He sent them on in the boat. He's doing this on purpose. Jesus, after they get out, in the sea, about three in the morning, does what anybody does and starts walking on the water out to the boat. <laughs> so he's just traipsing out there on the water. And it scares them to death, which is the obvious response. And then he comforts them. Which is what happens almost every time someone stands in the presence of God in the Bible. He scares the fool out of them. And then he says, do not be afraid. My friend, if we've, if we've never been uncomfortable in the presence of God, we've never been in the presence of God. The presence of God messes us up. And he has to say, he has to declare, it's okay for you to not be scared of me. I'll comfort you. Peter, I love Peter. He says, Jesus, prove yourself to me. If it's really you, call me out on the water. I would not have done that. I would have said, Jesus, if it's you, come on, get in the boat and quit doing this stuff. <laughs> but he says, if it's me, you, call me on out there with you. Not me. Peter actually steps out of the boat and starts walking on the water. Unbelievable. He starts walking on the water. Did you see why he fell, though? This is hilarious to me. He fell because he noticed the wind. Because if the wind wasn't blowing, I'd be able to walk on the water. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, Peter begins to sing. Did you notice that when they saw Jesus walking on the water, they were scared to death? And when Jesus got in the boat, they worshipped him. But when Peter walked on the water, nobody was scared of Peter. And when Jesus got in the boat, nobody worshipped Peter. Because everybody on the scene knew that what Peter was doing had nothing to do with Peter. When we're familiar with Jesus Christ... I want you to hear me. When we're familiar with Jesus Christ, sometimes we elevate people to an unhealthy status because we're familiar with Jesus. Look, look what they're doing. He's, he's walking on water. Man, he's awesome. Nobody said that about Peter. Nobody criticized Peter about falling. It's not recorded. I'd have, I'd have made fun of him. Wouldn't I? <laughs> 
you thought you were doing good. How'd that water taste? But nobody's critical of Peter for falling. When we're consumed with Christ, we neither exalt people or are hypercritical of people. We are consumed with Him. And we're not worried about nobody else. When we see people succeed in the name of Jesus, we know they did not do that. But Jesus was behind it. And when we see them fall, we're not worried about that either because we're consumed with Jesus himself. They get back in the boat. And it says those in the boat worshipped him. I don't know what you think about when you think about worship, but most of the time I think about music. They probably didn't sing anything. They probably didn't sing any hymns. Their worship was the confession with their mouths and their lives that Jesus was exactly who He says He is. Truly, you are the Son of God. And they were no longer familiar with Him. They probably had thoughts of, who in the world are you? Familiarity had left their minds. They understood they had a lot to learn about this person, Jesus Christ, and who He was. Judd's taught me a lot. When we were in China, October 10th, which would have been October 9th here, actually at 9 p.m. tonight, we will have known Judd for four weeks. That's unreal to me. Uh, in one way, I can't remember life before him. In another way, this time has flown with him. Um, it's incredible. But at 9 o'clock, we will have known him for four weeks. October the 10th, I was sitting in a Shanghai hotel room watching the deacon ordination here, live streaming. Uh, for one, I just needed to take my mind off things. Beth was getting ready to go. When that service was over, my heart was struck with total anxiety and fear. I was scared to death. This had all been an idea up until now. But now I'm fixing to hold my new son, and it's getting real. And I had thoughts of, what if he doesn't like us? How are we going to overcome this Chinese-English uh, uh, deal? Uh, what, what are we going to do about discipline? Uh, how, how are we going to manage this? The anxiety was all over me. We go, get in the car. Beth was feeling the same emotions. We get in the car. We're talking to our guide. I start getting a little more comfortable. I tell the guide, you know, we, we're, we're nervous. We're ready to get there. We get out at this welfare, child welfare building. We did not go to the orphanage to get him. We didn't meet him in the orphanage. We met him at this building. We get in this room, and this lady is sitting down, and she starts to interview us. She asks us what our name is. Uh, you have to understand, too, I had signed a waiver saying I would not share my faith while I was in China. Uh, because I was a pastor, it threw up a red flag. They said, fill out this form. You can't get a visa without this form. You have to say you will not share your faith. You will not evangelize. You will not do anything related to your work while in China. So I did that to get our son. Well, she says, so why are you wanting to adopt? And I looked at Beth. <laughs> 
I don't know. <laughs> what do we say? I mean, the Lord has called us to this. Well, we can't say this to this lady because we've signed the waiver. We can't talk about Jesus. So I said, we really want to grow our family through adoption. And we saw a picture of this kid and we fell in love with him. And we believe he's our son. And they were like, okay, good enough. So we went through that meeting and uh, I had to pay some extra money for an adoption donation that's required. I asked a couple questions about that, but it's an adoption donation that's required. So I walked past this room, and our, our, our guide's with me, and she said, oh, don't look in there. So I looked in there, and <laughs> there was the top of Judd's head, and I knew it was him because he's albino, and his hair was solid white, and there's not many of those in China. <laughs> So we went down and paid the fee, and I got back in the room where Beth was, and she said, I heard him. I heard his voice. And the nanny for Judd, the, our guide said, okay, here it is. They're fixing to bring Judd into the room. And I mean, my heart's racing at this point. And the nanny for Judd brings him into the room. She's kind of a hard-looking lady. She's not super friendly with us. And... She starts handing Judd to Beth, and immediately he says, Mama and Baba, which means Mom and Dad. And, and since that day, we've had some hard moments and some hard days, incredibly hard moments and hard days, I'll be real with you. But in that moment, I have never felt the presence of Jesus Christ in a place like I did then. It was as though Jesus was sitting in one of the chairs in that room smiling. And I'll always be able to go back to that. I need that. I'll always be able to go back to that. Um, Judd loved us because we had food. Uh, he start, I've never seen a human consume the amount of food Judd did in the first three days that we had him. If he was awake, he was not putting bites in his mouth. He was shoving handfuls of food in his mouth to where we were thinking he's going to choke or throw up. It was insane. I've never seen anything like it. And to be honest with you, I haven't figured out if um, they might have lightened his food the last couple days because they knew he was leaving. I'm not sure about that. I may not need to make that assumption. But I do know after about uh, six days, he changed a lot. When we first got him, when you, when you held him, most two-year-olds will help you hold them. They wrap their legs around you, wrap their arms around you. Not Judd. He just laid there like this. Incredibly hard to hold. He would even lean back. Hard to hold. When he, when he stood still, which was not very much, he was like this, just wobbly. And when he walked, even if he was holding both of our hands, he was tripping over himself, just, just, just like this. And if you see him now, you, you may not think that. Because he's, he's a rammer. He's going everywhere, 90 miles an hour. He walks fine. When he stands up, he's fully balanced. When we first got him, we were worried about his muscle tone because we didn't know if he, could, if he was developed in that way. It could have been because he was either standing in a crib all day held all day, or in a corral with other kids all day. Could, could have been that he was weak. The first day we had Judd, which was a great day, he was super weak. 
We took him to the store, the grocery store, because it was obvious that we did not bring enough food. He had already eaten the whole thing of puffs that we had brought, and we were wanting some of them to come back on the plane with us. They were kind of our hope. We went to the store, got him some food. Judd was still drinking formula, and we weren't prepared for that. At the store, Judd was walking all over himself, unbalanced. We got back to our hotel room, got out of the car, walked inside, got on the elevator. Judd's cool. I mean, he's doing everything like a hoss. He's just handling everything. Gets on the elevator. He's good. Starts going up to the 13th floor. Lucky us. We're headed up. He's fine. He's all good. He's holding both of our hands. The doors open on the elevator. Beth and I start walking out of the elevator. Judd takes a couple steps. He looks down in front of him at the edge of the elevator. And with the strength of a thousand Chinese yaks, <laughs> he slams on the brakes. He absolutely will not take another step. He starts whining. He starts crawling up Beth's leg. Well, what's going on? First sign of indifference between us. Judd was scared of the carpet. Probably never experienced carpet at the orphanage. Uh, he walked right up to the edge and he looked at it. And I promise you, you would think he was as strong as a 13-year-old. He was not getting on the carpet. Not happening. I saw that. And I went to our room, and this is one of the first of many lessons that God taught me there. But I thought about this story in Matthew chapter 14. And I thought about that song, Oceans, that we sing a lot. You know, you call me out upon the water, the great unknown where feet may fail. And then I thought, you know what, if, if we sing that, with our mouths. And we read this scripture probably a little arrogantly. But if we were honest with ourselves, most of us are scared of the carpet. One of Judd's deals, we found out that he, he, was, he was scared of the carpet, obviously, but he couldn't fully trust the people that were holding his hand either. The carpet's not scary. Nobody in here walked up to the edge and said, Whoa! This carpet's a little scary. <laughs> but nobody walked up to the edge. You, you would think people were crazy if they did something like that. But there's a lot of things God calls us to that probably aren't going to be harmful to us, but we've never experienced them and we're scared to death. And we don't trust the one that's holding our hand. The ocean was dangerous. We can make fun of Peter about looking around at the wind, but the ocean was dangerous and life-threatening. But most of the things God calls us to do here in America, they're not threatening our lives. What do you mean? Brother Don brought this up this morning, but when you ask people why they don't share their faith, one of the main reasons is, well, I'm scared they may ask me a question I don't know. I'm scared they may bring up something I may not have the answers for. That's, that's understandable, but is, it, is that an ocean 
Or is that the carpet? Probably the carpet. It's not life-threatening. <laughs> On Fridays at the church, a group of ladies come up here and they start gathering Bibles and T-shirts. And you know what's going on. They're going to the prison. Not, not to minister. Not to stay there, but to minister. <laughs> Miss Louise Taylor a few weeks ago came in and, and she was all giddy. And she walked up. I was sitting there by Cindy. And she walked by me and she said, Dustin, I'm so excited. We have 14 today. And I thought, I said, are you excited that people got arrested? So I asked Miss Louise, Miss Louise, do you get giddy because people get in trouble nowadays? And she said, Dustin, I'm convinced that that jail up there is holy ground. And if it takes people getting arrested for them to hear about Christ, I'm good with that. I say amen. If that jail can be holy ground, can our homes and our workplaces and our our Walmart experiences, can we not declare it as holy ground where we'll walk out on the carpet and share our faith with people? Not out of duty, but out of worship because we're in awe of Jesus Christ. Hospitality is a big thing in, in this church. I get to look at guest reports as they come in on Mondays and Tuesdays. That's part of what I do, and I, I like what I do. Me and Miss Cindy sit down and look at them. We, we think through who these guests are that have filled out things in our churches and in our, in our church. And uh, there are a lot of times you would be shocked at the times people walk through our doors. And nobody knows why they came or who invited them. It may be two on a Sunday morning, but no, nobody knows where they came from. Nobody invited them. <laughs> Jesus did that. People don't walk up in churches anymore. If they do, Jesus did that. Before we left from China, I met with Miss Christy Leak in my office, just thinking about how we can do things a little better uh, and welcoming guests and things. And she said this, that, that, that changed the way I thought. She said, what if we treated our church building like our house and our guests like house guests? Friends, if we did that, if we were to do that, our, our attendance would grow almost overnight if we were to treat this place like our home. And people that walk through our doors like our house guests that Jesus brought here. One of the problems is, is we walk up to people who aren't, who, are, who we think are guests, and we say, Hey, are you new here? And they say, No, I've been here 20 years. <laughs> so, well, I've been here too. Where you been? No, don't say that. If you do, invite me over because I think that's funny. Is that a ocean or is that a carpet? I think Jesus would want us to take a chance on offending a cranky church member than he would 
a guest that He has brought in our doors not feel welcome among the people of God. If we look for those opportunities, when people walk in our doors that have obviously been brought in by the Spirit of God to welcome them, say, hey, do you have anybody to sit with this morning? Do you, do you have lunch plans afterward? That, that's, that's kingdom work. It's carpet. It's not ocean. It's not life-defying. When I studied both of these passages together, my final thought was, what's so funny is that from Jesus' perspective, from where Jesus was standing, from Jesus' posture in this last story, the scary, terrifying, stormy, windy, rocky ocean was just like carpet to him. We see everything bad about it, but Jesus is like, why don't you doubt? And the thing is, the thing that's dangerous about Jesus saying, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Is sometimes we can make that into Jesus saying, why didn't you muster huge amounts of faith to be able to do this? Jesus isn't talking about amounts of faith. If you flip over a couple chapters to chapter 17, you see where Jesus said, If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains and nothing, nothing will be impossible. Jesus isn't talking about mustering up amounts of faith. He's saying, why am I little to you? Why am I little to you? Are you familiar with me or are you in awe of me? Small amounts of faith in a very big and powerful Jesus can change our circumstances, our church, our community, and our world for Jesus Christ. Small amounts of faith in a very great and powerful King. Tonight, are you in awe of Jesus? Are you familiar? Sometimes we can get so familiar with Jesus we can't recognize Him if He's sitting right next to us. And when He wants to guide our direction, we get offended. Are you familiar with Jesus? Or are you in awe of Him? Genuine worship is when we see Jesus for exactly who He is and we're in awe. And we say, Jesus, I've got so much to learn about you. I'm so small. I have small amounts of faith, but I have it in a very powerful king. And I believe you can do whatever you want. Reaching the delta for Christ, it may look like the ocean to us, but to Jesus, he's, he's not impressed. Reaching wind for Christ, it may look like the scary ocean for us. Jesus isn't concerned. If you're familiar with Jesus, I want to ask you to repent tonight and beg Him to return your all. And if you've never been in awe of Jesus, if you've never come to a point where you are a little bit uncomfortable with who He is and who you are in His presence... I want to ask you if you would come to Him for the first time.
think the reason we don't see more, Jesus do more things is because we're familiar. And we're not in awe. I don't want to go to a church where people are offended by Jesus. I want to live among a people who are constantly in awe of Him. And where He's moving in ways that we cannot imagine. We're going to have a time of response. I want to be careful about that because our time of response is also tomorrow. And it's Tuesday and it's Wednesday and it's Thursday and it's Friday. We do not only respond in this place, we respond outside of this place. True worship is every day saying, Jesus, you are exactly who you say you are. And I'm in awe of you. And I'll do whatever you ask. I'm scared to death. I have small amounts of faith. And a very big king. If you have a decision to make tonight, I want to ask you to do it. It's going to take courage. Jesus says, take courage. I'm with you. Do whatever he wants. Let's pray.